So today a little bit more of a look at an esoteric aspect of practice or of study within the internal arts. On the last podcast episode I did, these sort of solo chats, I looked at the teacher-student relationship and now I want to look at another dynamic of learning and teaching that's not really about the interpersonal relationships between uh, the teacher and the student really, but more about the mechanism of learning and the mechanism of learning internal arts. Um, and this is kind of like, <laughs> to be honest, the secrets to learning Qigong or the secrets to learning Tai Chi. And it's why some people can learn and, and some people cannot. Uh, and why so often I think that what I'm going to discuss here really kind of makes a difference between who picks up the arts on a subtle level and who does not. So really, a little bit more esoteric, maybe sort of, you know, sort of borderline physiological, borderline odd, you know, it will involve chi. Um, so because as anyone who, who knows what I'm into knows that, of course, I'm at the school of thought that chi is an actual thing. It's a form of energy that can be developed and built up inside the body. I don't believe that you have it all the time automatically. I know there are some internal arts practitioners who are of the view that you already have all the energy you need, you just need to find it, but it's not true, actually. Your body needs and your mind needs converting as a mechanism. It's like you are a machine, and your machine that you have inside your body, the machine that you are, is producing chi, but it's not producing efficiently high levels of chi that we require for the internal arts. And through the practice, what we need to do is build up the efficiency of the mechanism of the chi till you produce more chi. So it's not a case of just finding it. There's an actual process behind it. Now, when you have more chi, basically you can learn more efficiently. You can teach more efficiently. And I want to look a little bit at the mechanism behind that. I don't want this to be a really long solo chat. Again, some people are trying to get me to be more uh, succinct, more to the point. So I shall try to do just that. I shall listen to my criticism and try to be less wordy. So I'll try and make it brief, but essentially what, it, what this is based upon is the idea that, say you take something like, well, I don't know, well, let's take Qigong for a moment, but it could apply to Tai Chi, it could apply to Bagua, it could apply to anything, any of the internal arts. Now, if you watch the body or you understand the mechanism, no, actually, no, 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 let's use Tai Chi because it's easier, but obviously my main interest is Qigong, that's mostly what I'm known for, that's mostly what I'm interested in, but we use Tai Chi as an example because it's easier. Now, in the Tai Chi world, I say you could divide practitioners into a couple of camps. One of those camps would be people that have internal movement, and the other camp would be the people that don't have internal movement. Now, the first thing we need to understand is what is internal movement? What do we mean by this? So every teacher will define it differently, but my definition of when I say external movement is I mean that essentially their body is operating according to the skeletal system and the obvious leverages and mechanisms that are in the body, and then the contractive muscles and tendons really that are pulling and closing those joints. Basically normal body function, like how you would move around. I'm moving around externally right now. So if you take that as the normal mechanism, then really the mechanics of Tai Chi are going to be based upon how much can I line up my body, how much can I develop the contraction of the muscles so that my body moves as efficiently as possible for these arts, okay? Much like uh, most martial arts or most movement arts, to be honest, if they stay on the external level. What this means is that when we say 
someone is external, we say that their outside body moves more than their inside body. And their outside body, curiously, is not literal depth because their outside body is bones moving according to leverage as the muscle contracts. So then the opposite would be internal movement. And internal movement goes through a whole series of stages but basically involves the nervous system and the tissues and all of the elastic squishy stuff, whatever you want to call it, use the word fascia if you want to, I don't really mind, on the inside of the body starts to expand and stretch and mobilize and move. So now rather than being dependent upon the obvious leverage at your joints, like external movement, now it can be areas of the body stretch and pull and become um, pressurized and expansive, meaning all the cavities of your body start to move. So as these internal movements start to stretch and mobilize, the byproduct of this is that they then push, push into the rest of your body to get it to change shape. It's very difficult to explain, but it essentially means that your body moves in an almost pneumatic or feels almost like um, hydro-powered, like this pressurized movement of water inside the body that causes your body to stretch and move. So... If somebody operates like this, we say the inside of the body moves more than the outside, okay? So obviously inside and outside are funny terms because the bones are the deepest part of your body, but they would still be considered external. Internal movement is all of the wave-like and pressurized expansions and contractions on the inside of the body from your fascia network and your connective tissues and all those kind of things that push and stretch the body into a shape. So in external movement, we make shapes. In internal movement, the shape is generated on the outside as a byproduct of what is happening on the inside. And it might sound like the same thing, but it's not. It's actually a, a huge distinction. So if you divide the Tai Chi world into these two camps, what I mean by this is there are people doing Tai Chi that, in my opinion, of course only my opinion, uh, they are, in my opinion, doing it wrong because they mistakenly believe that Tai Chi is about getting strong legs flexible, turning your hips, maintaining a center, like basically external body movements, the same thing you would do in an art like karate if you slowed it down. Uh, the more correct would be the internal camp where through processes of mobilizing all of that tissue on the inside, the pressurization and changes of your body causes the outside of your body to change. Now, the people moving the body internally are quite rare. Statistically, there's a lot less of them, for sure. So if you want to learn Tai Chi, certainly if you follow the same sort of logic or philosophy as I, then obviously one of your first missions is to locate, wake up, find the internal body, and then start to condition it. And this is really, to me, what Tai Chi training is about. Qigong training also includes this. Before you can worry about, you know, channels of Qi and things like Shen and stuff like that, you also have to wake up the internal body. It's the same. You have to get all of these elasticated connective tissues moving in a certain way. So in order for that to happen, you have to have various factors, various facets in play. And many of the internal arts principles are based upon this, ideas such as opening the body to create more space. What does that do? Well, it stretches all of the tiny little fibers inside so your snotty cobweb of connective tissues all connect up. Then you have to bring the mind inside because you actually need your awareness to interact with these tissues to get them to wake up. Then you really need to change the way the nervous system functions so it has a greater degree of interaction with all the tissues and what have you on the inside. And then you need that thing called qi. Now qi is a 
you know, as a term, it can be defined in many ways. So I'm ignoring the chi of Dantian, I'm ignoring the chi of, uh, you know, whatever, <laughs> do channel, kundalini, whatever you want, I don't matter, like all those kind of codes of energy. There's a kind of chi that comes first, which is really the, what we call the fluid of the mind, is a phrase that's often used. And it's not a bad phrase, because it, it essentially implies that there is a form of energy that is generated by the interaction of the mind and the inside of your body that kind of builds up and it, it thickens this experience of an energy inside that causes the inside of your body to become more malleable. So if I don't have much chi, the inside of my body, the elasticated stuff, doesn't move much, to be honest. It's like it needs the chi to cause it to function, you know, it needs that energy to motivate it into movement. Whereas if I had a lot of chi, then the whole of the inside can pressurize and fill and expand. That's why you hear people talk about Tai Chi saying, Pung is just more chi, which in a way is true. Or, you know, you need more chi to have more power in Tai Chi, which is also true because what they're talking about is that kind of chi at the beginning that is gives a greater degree of interaction between your mind and your body, between your mind and your nervous system, so that the inside mobilizes a great deal more. So if you have a, a form of Tai Chi that has no Chi, so someone is a Tai Chi Chuan practitioner and all they do is form or kettlebells or something, nothing wrong with kettlebells, nothing wrong with form, but you know, if their art is based around that, they have no mechanism to build Chi, then they will forever be stuck at external movements. So then the result of their studies will be because brains are self-confirmatory, they will come to the conclusion that, oh, Tai Chi is about pushing into the ground with your feet and turning your hips, and that's about it, really. That's what they'll think it is. Whereas if you have someone who has a mechanism to build Qi, then because it will mobilize and make the inside of the body more malleable and give you access to a whole new mechanic for how your body can function, now Tai Chi will become about something else. So then you will start to realize that internal movement and external movement are very, very diff different. And unless someone has experienced internal movement, it's very hard to even describe to them what it is. It's not easy, you know, like you'll see people talk about, people who do external arts talk about like internal arts, like they're an easy option, but they're really not. Because as that thickening and that mobilizing of that energy mobilizes the tissues to a greater degree, it feels like magnets and um, tens machines causing contractions and stretches on the inside at first. As all of that starts to wake up, if you're able to get access to a system that can do this, it's actually quite a lot of effort, you know, like you'll sweat and, and it'll pull and feel bruised and achy because all these fibers on the inside of the body that are normally just passive, they normally only operate as a byproduct of what your muscles and your bones are doing. All of a sudden, they've got life of their own. So you go to move your arm and all of a sudden, there's this great stretch that moves through the inside of the body that comes with a lot of power, a lot of force. And then this will become the mechanism essentially to mobilize the jinn. So herein lies the difficulty for an internal arts teacher, a difficulty that I know well, and also a difficulty that I see um, other internal arts teachers, I'll set that on my shoulder, <laughs> talking about as well, and also a, a difficulty that causes uh, frustration for people trying to learn the internal arts, is how do you teach the internal movements? Very, very hard. Because uh, the internal movements, now that's annoying, the internal movements are difficult to explain and also not something that's uniform, you know, like I could tell you to turn your hips to the left or right, I could tell you to raise your elbow up and down, but how do I get you to understand the 
various expansions and contractions and pressurization of everything from the ribs and the diaphragm through to the, the yao and the mobilization of the wave of tissue that comes from releasing this part of the body. Oh, it's very, very hard. So in Tai Chi, especially in some lineages, uh, the ones I was involved in, they had a halfway house where they taught you something called rebounding jin, which is a rebounding jin is like a halfway towards internal movement. So if a Tai Chi art is based on rebounding, as in the floor, the chi or the force touches the ground and then comes back up through, sort of very superficial version of borrowing, that's actually half internal, half external, half internal. And it was a way that was used as a halfway house within lineages like, uh, you know, Chen Manqing's lineage and stuff, totally valid. But it, to me, it was like a way of getting over the frustration as much as anything of, of getting people to understand how the, or not being able to get people to understand how the internal body functions. So therefore, they developed this sort of intermediate method where the force goes through you in a linear fashion, but it's still not full internal movement. And it doesn't really, that rebounding style jin doesn't really adhere fully to the Taiji classics, more so than external movement, but still not all the way in, you know, it's not all the way into what is possible. But I get why that method existed, and I teach that method too, because I think it's sensible for beginners to go through that step, but it's still not full internal movement. But the internal movements I'm talking about are so complicated, you can't explain to someone, you can't tell someone, do this thing. All you can do is help them to get the causes in place that may lead to the right internal movements. It's very hard. If you're going to teach Tai Chi from a purely external mechanism, it's much easier because people can copy your shapes. You can tell them things like do this form three to six times a day or something like that and copy my shapes and it will come. It's not true. It won't lead to the internal movements, but because that's the level that somebody is operating on, it's much easier to teach. If you look at the teachers that have a lot of internal skill within an art like Tai Chi, of which there's not so many, you know, as you go up through the upper echelons, it gets rarer and rarer they will normally have one or two students, maybe at the most, that are getting close to their level, but most other people can't learn it. So, and then there's frustration because students will go, oh, they're holding something back or I can't learn from that person. Teachers will be frustrated because they're like, why can't people learn this? Why can't I pass it on? So my attempt now is to rectify that error and maybe shed some light on why it's difficult. Um, if I've lost you already, if this isn't one of the Tai Chi scenes that you're in, um, then maybe this won't make too much sense, but I'll try. Same with Qigong. You know, like Qigong involves the waking up of the inside of the body. The inside of the body has to move. Most people are doing Qigong with the wrong body, so they're just moving. You know, and you see lots of these Qigong schools appearing online now that are very acrobatic, and it's like if you stretch and move low and do this pretty movement, then it will lead to the, it won't lead to those things like because the body is wrong. The body in Qigong must also operate, if you wish to go to a deep level in the art, from this internal mechanism, from the stretching and the pressurization and everything, so that this, like, I call it the wetsuit of connected malleable tissues, mobilizes inside under the action of the qi, and this generates a different machine. Now your body doesn't move under leverage, so if I'm raising and lowering my arms, it's not leverage. If I'm bending my spine, I'm not deliberately trying to open and close the vertebra or any of those things. All of this is incorrect. This is external movement. What it should be, is certainly after the early stages, is that I've learned how to get the internal mechanisms to pressurize and mobilize so that the outside body shape changes as a byproduct of this, and now I have internal movement. The reason that's important for Qigong is because the external body won't pump Qi. 
won't pump or mobilize energy around the body. It'll mobilize blood, it'll mobilize lymph, but it doesn't really mobilize chi properly. So if I go up and down in the choir and open and close my arms, it's not really going to move the chi that much. But if the inside body activates properly, then actually those tissues, the wetsuit, when it stretches and pressurizes and opens and closes, the kai and hoi of the arts, this will mobilize the chi to a large degree through your body. It reminds you of squeezing toothpaste. Say you've got a toothpaste tube with not much <laughs> toothpaste left in it and you're squeezing it through the tube and as the tissues mobilize inside, it pumps the chi through your body. So qigong once again relies on this, but the same again that the mechanisms are so complicated that you can't explain them. Because if I'm going to go elbow, I can go, well, fold your arm that way, fold your arm that way. If I had more technical knowledge, I could give you the technical gnomes for it. You know what I mean? I'm just giving you a two-dimensional movement. Or even making it 3D, I can say, turn your elbow at the same time. And you can copy it. But the inside mechanism might be something like, you know, randomly trying to describe it, pressurize this cavity while this one releases. This creates a stretch that connects into this part of the body. And then it will mobilize like a wave to this other area that's pressurized. Like very, very complicated and intricate movements that quite often the teacher themselves can't even ascertain exactly what's going on on the inside. They just feel that it's, it's mobilizing and the result is it mobilizes the chi. So it's hard. If you don't have a language and you don't have a literal mechanism to explain from one person to the other, how do you pass something on? And of course, things get lost to the extent that there are Tai Chi and Qigong lineages where I see people copying externally, doing external movements normally spiraling ones and emotions like this that are clearly copies of what would result from the correct internal movements. So if there was the correct internal movement, the byproduct would be the outside shape would mobilize in this way. So the internal conditions would create the ex external shape. But because they've not been able to learn effectively from the teacher, the internal mechanism, they have to just kind of mimic the outside movements. And I've seen several lineages of qigong and tai chi that have gone down that route you know it's and obviously it's tail wagging the dog if if you mimic the external results rather than create the internal conditions then you're not going to get the right result and i think a lot of tai chi has fallen foul of that and a lot of qigong as well so how to get past this mm. to understand this we have to go back to an aspect of how animals, this fella here, this bulldog, don't know if you can see him, there's a bulldog there on camera, you know, like how animals communicate with each other. And uh, my friend Cindy Engel explains this much more eloquently than me. And I've kept meaning to have her on this podcast. I never got around to it. But I tell you what, I'll finish this. I'll message her immediately, try to get her to come on. She will explain this process a lot better than me. So I will do a shit job. And I'll try to get her to do a better job soon. <laughs> but essentially, if you have two animals, two dogs, and they meet each other, they don't have complex communication language between them. Two dogs, they can bark and grunt and sniff and whatever. They can smell each other and pick up certain messages off of each other. But I would argue that there are far more intricate things they need to communicate from one animal to the other. And a lot of the way they do this is through nervous system attunement more than anything else. So a nervous system is like an antennae for these animals. One dog meets one dog. This dog is, what, aggressive, for example, or something more complicated, but we use aggressive as an example. He meets the other dog. What will happen is because the aggressive dog nervous system is in a particular state, this dog will meet that dog and its nervous system will adjust in shape to harmonize with the aggressive dog. And what happens is as its nervous system harmonizes, it will feel inside its own body what the other dog is feeling. 
Now, already, if you can understand that, you might even understand how Qigong or internal arts were supposed to be taught in the first place. Because if that dog transforms its nervous system to match the other dog, now it feels for itself what the, dog is, the other dog is feeling. So no, it doesn't need words. It doesn't need language. It doesn't need complex linguistic communication like humans use. It just feels what the other dog feels. Now, humans will do this too. Um, and you've got everything from like sometimes you'll just pick something up off someone. You go to see someone, especially if you've done any kind of introspection, because if you've done any meditation or Qigong, or you're naturally a very introspective person, or you're naturally a very um, anxious person, because if you're anxious, your nervous system's often quite highly strung, which means it's more likely to pick up stuff of other people anyway. But many of us experience this. You stand next to someone, and you feel in your body what's going on in their body. So sometimes someone will have a mood. Now, the mood is obviously related to chemicals and energies in the body, but also in nervous system alignments, why up when you're angry and, and things like this, down when you're depressed and, and stuff. So your nervous system will often adjust to the other person, so you feel it. Some people that we call, you know, bricks, I call them, which is me, really, don't, don't feel that because the nervous system doesn't function that way. But a very delicate or very sensitive person's nervous system will very quickly adjust to what somebody else is feeling. The basis of a lot of empaths or what people call psychics is based in this, isn't it? It's like they meet someone and that person's got a headache, you know what I mean? And then you've got a headache straight away or you, you feel it, you pick up a headache. A lot of therapists will do this because especially if they're body workers, shiatsu or massage, twain art or whatever, acupuncture, whatever you're doing, you're working with other people all the time and constantly putting your attention on them. Gradually, your nervous system will learn to copy what their nervous system is doing. So your body will recreate the feelings that their body is getting. Sometimes that information is felt and you get a kind of somatic empathy for the other person. Oh, I feel your shoulder pain or something like this. Or sometimes it's more that information will go to the brain, so then you just know, oh, I know you have a headache and a shoulder pain or something. And that intuitive knowledge is often created because your nervous system is molded to the other person's. It's like two sets of antennas harmonizing with one another. So that's a normal facet for the human body. That's an animal's body. That's how it works. But the more that the intellectual mind gets in the way, the less we rely upon our nervous system. So for human beings... We've developed more complex intellects, more complex thought processes, more complex linguistic patterns. So often we can just say to somebody how we feel in a very complex manner. And because we're so used to people just telling us or using our intellect to try to figure it out, we switch off our connection to that nervous system. So for a lot of people, they don't get that anymore. They don't feel it. Now, I noticed this because where it came back for me, it was like a lost skill. Because I had it as a kid, I was naturally very sensitive. I would feel what other people were feeling. So if somebody came into the room very nervous or something, I would feel nervous or, or something like that. And I think that's normal for kids. And I lost it as I grew older, but I regained it when I moved to China, when my language skills were, <laughs> when I first went to China, my language skills were like ordering food in a restaurant and asking directions, that was it. That was about all I could do. So when I first got there, before I developed a bit more complexity in the ability to speak to Chinese people, was well, I had very little way of speaking to people. It was pretty poor. So naturally, as my language got out of the way, I found that my sensitivity came back. Um, and it still wasn't particularly helpful for getting around China. But all of a sudden, I could feel more of what people around me were feeling. So that sensitivity as a child came back. They had a headache, I had a headache. They were angry, I knew it in me because I felt angry. Like I could pick up what they were doing, much like two dogs 
meeting each other. So basically my intellect and language barrier when I was living in my own country as a youngster got in the way and as soon as you took away my ability to communicate verbally all of a sudden these other things came back. So that mechanism is a normal mechanism for humans and like I said I probably did a really bad job of explaining it but you know that's uh, I'll get someone else to explain it better than me but that's kind of how I see communication between two people. If someone had a very stressed childhood, maybe your parents were always fighting and you had to be acutely aware, maybe you wanted to protect your mum or maybe you were in danger or something, then your nervous system was often always in a state of looking for danger. And those people can often become what we call psychics or intuitive people or empaths later in life because their nervous system stayed in a very attuned state to picking up danger or risk around them so you know there's lots of logical mechanisms and what goes on for those kind of things then of course you have layers of energetics and esoteric ability in their mind and stuff as well but if, that's the kind of physiological basis for it so with regards to teaching the internal mechanisms it works the same or it should do it should work the same the only difference is we add in chi so this is what i want to help you to understand the more chi you have the more malleable your nervous system is, which means more malleable your tissues become. And it really does work like that. If I have a lot of chi moving around inside my body, then it mobilizes the tissue, meaning the plasticity of the shape inside my body is very great, and the plasticity of the nervous system is very great. The ability of my tissues to move and mobilize in channels to open and stretch is very great if I have a lot of chi. If I have no chi, I'm like fucking block of wood. But if I have lots of chi, then it's very, very malleable. So this brings us down to the kind of another facet of this, that if you have a lot of chi, then your nervous system and your tissues will realign to somebody else's that you're paying attention to, to a far higher degree. So maybe if I don't have much chi, but I'm quite psychic, if you like, and my nervous system is able to pick stuff up, they get a headache, I get a headache. If I have a lot of chi, and someone's nervous system is moving around, and the inside of the body is moving around, often mine can start to copy it. The vicinity of me and that person sat within the same magnetic field of our chi, for want of a better term, it's not quite a magnetism, but it's not that far off it, means that if I allow myself to, my nervous system will copy theirs. Now that's how the internal arts are supposed to be taught. So these days, of course, people learn online. I teach online, other teachers teach online and things like that. And learning online, what you can do is you can learn the conditions, you can learn the skills, but it's still not the same as learning in person from a, from a teacher. If you have the ability, well, first of all, if they have internal movement, if they don't have internal movement, there's no point learning off them in person, <laughs> I would say. Like, honestly, if, if a tai teacher does Tai Chi and it's all external, you may as well learn online because you can copy what their movements are doing. As long as you're quite good at visually replicating what someone is doing, you don't really need to see them. But if you are trying to copy a movement off of someone who has internal skill, it's very hard to do off video. You need to be in their vicinity so that they can transmit their internal skill to you. And that's how it works. The transmission, and you hear that word a lot, from Tai Chi teacher to Tai Chi student or Qigong teacher to Tai Chi uh, Qigong student should be the teacher mobilizes the inside of their body in the right way and the body of the student is able to replicate it internally because of the 
energetic mechanism and the tissues and the nervous system copying what the teacher is doing. This is why you hear people all the time talking about the transmission they receive from their teacher. I went to see the teacher and all of a sudden my body could do this thing. I went to see the spiritual teacher and sat in his vicinity. I entered into a blissful state. It's only the same. It's a blissful state that is generated because your malleability is able to copy the condition they're putting their body into and it, or, or their mind into even. You know, your nervous system and your mind are intimately connected. It doesn't matter if that um, it's a temporary state or a permanent one that they live in, your body is able to replicate it. So you have another added complication, is sometimes teachers give off enough energy, they radiate enough chi, uh, enough magnetism around them that they can activate the nervous systems of people around them. And I've got a little bit of this, I'm happy to admit, but there are other teachers that take it to a far higher level, you know, the sort of gurus and, and things like this, the real ones, not the dodgy ones. But they have so much that if you stand within their field, your nervous system and your tissues become more malleable because of the amount of chi that they're radiating. So you will get those kind of teachers that are so radiant of energy that when you're with them, you can do all these kind of internal skills. But when you're not with them, your body can't replicate it because you don't have enough chi. So if I don't have any chi, and I've met guru what's his name, I don't know, Guru Japati is here, and, and he's generating a ton of energy, and I stand within his field, all of a sudden that chi makes all of my tissues much more mobile. The, the field he's giving off means that everything moves a lot. So now all of a sudden, when I'm with him, oh, I feel all the things he feels, and I have all these skills, and my mind goes to the right state, and everything's moving. And then I go home, can't replicate it once again. I can't do it because I don't have enough energy to sustain that mobilization or that transformation inside my body and that happens to a lot of teachers and, and their students and the student ends up coming for like a hit of the teacher do you know what I mean coming for the experience knowing they can do this thing with the teacher but when they go home they can't do it and I hear that story a lot they can't replicate what they could do with them with that teacher and it's risky because then the person gets addicted to the teacher or they need the teacher. There's a degree of disempowerment and reliance upon the teacher that's there because you know you can only do it when you're with them. And sometimes that teacher knows that and sometimes they don't. And oftentimes teachers don't even understand the mechanism of why they're able to get their students to do things when they're in their vicinity. And sometimes teachers don't know how they learnt off the, the other person. They didn't realize it was transmitted one nervous system from another. In Tai Chi, it's often done in pushing hands, the close vicinity of laying your hands upon somebody else if you're mobilizing the inside and if they have enough Chi, or if your field is able to influence them enough, their internal body will start copying it will start to replicate it and in the case of qigong it's usually training within the field of the teacher or sometimes within the group meaning that there will be somatic um, mirroring and it, uh, as your body empathizes with what's going on in other people's body and so then yours wakes up this is the sort of mechanisms of transmission now of course to argue with myself or counter it because <laughs> i should that's only the physiological level that's the nervous system which can affect the mind and the experience and the feeling and it's the tissues. But of course there's other levels as, as well uh, and I'm aware of that sort of spiritual connection things but I'm literally talking on this physiological level. So I would argue that art like Tai Chi at its highest levels has to be passed on this way. Has to be. Because you can't, beyond rebounding, you can't really explain to anyone the mechanisms of what to do inside the body. You have to feel it from somebody doing it, somebody who's already able to do it in your vicinity. And the same for Qigong. So all these 
arguments people have of like you don't need a teacher it's not true you don't need a teacher if you don't wish to go past a certain level but if you need a teacher if you want to get past a certain level unless you're an absolute fucking genius who can somehow somatically work it out in your nervous system how the fuck that would happen i don't know unless you are that person you will at least for periods of time need someone to be doing that work in a way that your body can replicate what they're doing and then it will start to create it. That's the transmission. That's what's needed. That's why that's always my thought when I see people writing down, well, I didn't need a teacher. I didn't have one. I studied, a, I read 10,000 books. There's one guy who says that, or I did this study or whatever, and there's no one, any, nothing anyone can tell me. And I learned it all from here. And I'm like, transmission. You've missed out one of the most uh, invaluable parts of the arts. There is a somatic mirroring of you to the person that's teaching you if you can get that mechanism to work, yeah. So this is the secret to learning Qigong. This is the secret to learning the Tai Chi. And I don't think lots of teachers talk about it. I think partially some teachers don't understand it. And I think those that do, uh, maybe ethically they don't want to create a feeling of reliance from student to teacher. And I'm aware that by saying this, that's kind of the danger. Because I can do this to a certain extent. There are teachers who do it higher than me. But there are many other teachers that can do it too. So therefore, it doesn't really matter what teacher you go to. You just have to go to one that has the skill set that you require on an internal level. And then you have to learn how to make the mechanism work within your body. And this brings me to the point of why I'm explaining this. If I take my teaching, for example, because I can only talk about mine, I can't talk about anyone else's, and if I could, I don't really have a right to, I don't have a right to comment on other people's ways of doing things. So my way, for all of my arts, for Qigong, Tai Chi, Bagua, Jingyi, meditation, whatever I'm teaching, Chinese medicine, like whatever I'm teaching, if there is a subtle skill, I know that I can't teach it to the people that are learning from me. So what I will do is I will teach the external part of the art first. How to move your body, where to put your limbs, just like most teachers. Then I will teach as far as they can go on that sort of middle ground between external and internal. So for Tai Chi rebounding Jin, for example, or something like that, it's a halfway house. For Qigong, um, I can teach people to develop the cavity around the Dantian and the opening of the channels through Daoyins and things like halfway houses. But what I cannot teach is the subtle internal mechanisms any way other than transmission. And I know that. No one, no one else can do it. I, nobody, nobody can teach the transmissions of this sort via video. Nobody can teach these transmissions over the internet. Nobody can teach these transmissions through the spoken word. Not this kind. They will need to be in your vicinity so their body can replicate what you're doing. So therefore, as a teacher, my belief is you, you have to give your students the best chance of being able to do this or if or even if it's someone that you're not going to meet in person i think it's best to give their body the best chance of being able to replicate the internal skills from any teacher they meet that's what i do so it works like this i just build more chi i build more chi in me and i help the students to build more chi that's it the more chi i build inside my body the more i radiate that field Okay. The more I build, the more malleable my nervous system and my tissues are, till eventually the inside is so alive that it takes over from external movement. That's what internal artists should be aiming to do. The people listening to this who don't even believe that's a reality, 
to me are just doing external arts because your internal body needs to mobilize a massive degree. And in order to do that, you have to learn how to sync, develop, build, and increase the level of chi inside your body so that it makes all of the inside makes up, wake up. Your nervous system is so malleable, which means your mind becomes so malleable, meaning not fixated on a angry resentment or something like this and the tissues start to mobilize up more so you can change the plasticity of your body according to, to your will or according to the action of release and that can create the internal arts now that means that the more chi i build the better i am at what i do but also the more chi i build the more my field radi out, radiates out meaning that the more that people train within that field the more their body starts to replicate what i'm doing and it'll replicate what my body's doing in a way that I can't teach. I can tell them what to do with a skeleton. I can tell them do what to do with the choir and the shoulders. I can tell them do what to do with various things. But I can't explain to them how to get their body to do what my body is doing. So I have to build more chi in order to do that and be the best practitioner you can possibly be. This is why a teacher cannot be a non-practitioner. So when someone says, oh, I teach, but I don't practice anymore, unless, you know, it's a little, it's okay. I think it's a disservice because you're not increasing the quality of your body, meaning the other students, the people you're teaching, don't have a hope of doing it either because they need to be able to replicate what you're doing internally via the transmission until they're self-sustaining and then possibly taking it further and getting better than you. That's the aim. That's how an art grows. That's how an art develops for the next generation. So that's my job as a teacher for me comes down to building more chi. Now, for the student, it's the same. Because if the student can build more chi, what it means is a couple of things. One, they're more able to pick up what I'm teaching. So now within my vicinity, my chi plus their chi means transmission is nice and easy. Now the inside of the body copies what mine is doing. Great. Now we have a way of teaching the internals via what they call mind-to-mind -mind transmission. But actually what it is is nervous system-to-nervous system transmission. In the vast majority of cases, is it's not like me, 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 like Batfink's sonar beep or something, if you know what that cartoon from the 80s was. It's, it's more that the nervous system copies the other person's nervous system. So this is the transmission of the body skills. And it can be push hands. It can be mobilizing the body on the inside. It can be a process of release. It can be stretching and opening of a channel in Qigong, the building and the mobilizing of qi from one cavity to another within Neigong, whatever. It can be the mood or the mindset within meditation so that I can stabilize my mind so that somebody who's able to pick up on that transformation, their mind will stabilize as well. So there's that, but then also the more qi you build in the student, the more they're able to sustain it. So if, for example, I'm a student and I don't know much qi and I go stand in, guru, watch your faces, auric field, and my body starts to copy them, and I have this experience. If I come away, within an hour, I'm back to normal. You know, like, okay, I got a hit. What am I going to do now? But if I have enough chi of my own that the plasticity is very, very high, when I go and stand within their field and get that experience, when I step out of that field, my body can sustain it. Maybe not perfectly, but it can sustain it pretty well, and I can get back there. So the amount of chi I have will dictate how constant or stabilized the transmission is. So this brings me to a really simple idea that if you want to empower the people you're teaching as early as possible, you get them to build more, most chi, more chi. The more chi they have, the more they can sustain your, your teachings that have gone on through transmission. Very, very simple. And the less reliant they are on you. So this kind of, you know, like I just taught a, 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 a year of internal arts, 
here in Bali. In the first few months, I was teaching people how to move physically and stuff like that. And they, people could learn my external mechanics and get it, and a little bit of internal mechanics. But then anything beyond that, I couldn't really teach them because it relies upon transmission. It relies upon their body emulating what my body is doing on the inside. It goes beyond that cognitive explanation. So therefore, I went to a very traditional way of teaching Qigong, or what I understand as traditional of teaching Qigong, or Tai Chi, who knows, it's just what I've seen written and how I was taught, but I don't know if it's always been done that way, was I kind of stopped everything else and just built lots of Qi with them. That was it. It was like, right, let's spend three or four months just building Qi. Now, straight away, just some of them who don't understand my process, that will seem weird. It's like, whoa, we were learning Tai Chi, and all of a sudden we're just doing Qigong. We were doing martial arts, now we're just doing Qigong. Why? And it can seem like you've stepped off the path or digressed, but, you know, if people understand where I'm coming from, or they trust me, which is a, a big ask, I guess, is by building the volume of Qi inside the body, I know that when I then do whatever I do internally with that student, more likely their body will replicate it. So their learning speed will go up and then they will sustain it. And then I can pass on to those people I'm teaching more complex and intricate mechanics that I can't possibly explain verbally or get them to understand cerebrally or intellectually. Instead, I can just transmit it from body to body. And that will go for things like the push hand skills through to the mobilization of qi and neigong and things like that. And what will it come down to is can you build enough chi that there is enough magnetism and that energy inside that they can replicate what your body is doing? So this then, you see, this is why I say it's traditional. And up till now, I've not bothered explaining it to people I teach because I don't care. But, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they have mixed feeling about my methods. But this is my logic. This is my logic. So if you look at some descriptions, I guess there would be people who disagree, of traditional internal arts training, you'd often hear them say, ah, well, they did Qigong for a long time first before they learned the martial arts off me, or they stood for a long time before they did the form or whatever. And you hear that all the time. And sometimes people will say it's a hazing process, or some people will say it's just an analogy or, or an exaggeration. But I think actually they were building Qi. You know, circle walking and Bhagwa builds Qi if you know how to do it properly. If you understand the process, it builds Qi. If you don't understand the process, it doesn't do a lot, <laughs> not really. But and, and the same with standing in Tai Chi, if you know how to do it, it can build Qi. Okay, if you don't know how to do it, it's just an alignment exercise and make you stiff. And the same with Qigong, obviously, that we need to build a volume of Qi before we learn all of the exercises. So the, the stories would say they stood or they circle walked or they meditated for a while and when they were ready, I taught them the art. Why do people think that is? It's not a hazing process. They were getting them to build chi so that when they stood with the teacher, the teacher could transmit to them the correct internal methods in the way that it should have been taught, which is chi field to chi field, malleable nervous system to malleable nervous system, malleable tissues, malleable tissues. So the student copied and emulated through transmission what the body of the master was doing or the teacher was doing. So then the teacher would pass on physical instructions and correct alignments but then also transmit the more subtle movements and then of course what you normally have is in scripture or text or classical writings that give you confirmatory experiences that you can go oh, yes that's what's going in my body from the transmission i'm learning from this art that's the basic of that's the basics of how the internal arts are transmitted to me that's the secrets of learning qigong the secrets of learning tai chi so these days 
There are many teachers who can transmit subtle movements like this, but sometimes they don't understand the mechanism, and oftentimes the students don't understand how to learn it, which is to build more chi, alongside lots of repetitions, of course. But I, as years went on, it became a lot easier for me to pick up subtle methods from teachers because I had more chi. So I could learn off them, and if I couldn't quite learn off them, I just oh, just pay attention to their body, pay attention to them, apply my awareness into the space, and then just let my body absorb the transmission from them. And because I had enough chi when I went away, my body could emulate what they were doing. Now, within the arts, last part, I said I'd make this short, didn't I? Sorry. Within the arts, there's then mechanisms to increase the connection, ritualistic ceremonies like the baisha, that these days is more of a political thing than anything else, but originally would have had a, a harmonization ceremony, so you were more in sync, sounding like a hippie there, aren't I? More in sync with the teacher so that the transmission could take place a lot more efficiently. That's what baisha was originally, the ceremony of taking a disciple. These days, like I say, it's political usually and you know, but a true baisha was about that. And then some teachers would understand that process, so they would deliberately not mobilize the inside of the body when someone's around who they didn't want to teach. And if someone that they did want to learn because they trusted their character or probably some other political reason, they would then allow their body to mobilize on the inside so the other one could emulate. Now, I've seen Tai Chi teachers and Qigong teachers doing this who have the knowledge I'm talking about here, just switching off the inside of their body and not doing anything. And that's very much because they don't want the teacher, to, the student to learn. I remember going to see one teacher who was very good at this, like his transmission ability was very high. And for what we call outer door classes, meaning the general public, he would sit in a chair and teach, stand up, demonstrate a movement, sit back down and let the students train while he watched. Now he was always there, and people thought he was lazy, but it, it was only as years went on and came to realize, well, he's sitting in the chair watching because he doesn't actually want to mobilize his body because he will unwittingly transmit to anyone who's got a lot of chi the internal mechanisms and they'll pick it up. Whereas when you became inner door with that teacher, which I did after a while and got invited into the inner circle, he was always doing stuff, like constantly moving through forms and exercises, touching you and, and things like that because he was allowing the people within the inner door to pick up what he was doing. When I teach, and please, I'm, I'm, you know, fuck it, I'm a moron, I'm no master, I'm just someone who's doing my best. But it, I understand this process, so when I'm in a room full of people, I will do what they are doing. I do the exercises with them because I want to give the people I'm teaching the highest possibility of being able to emulate what I'm doing on the inside, so I understand the point of transmission. So I'll even do an exercise, face another direction in the crowd, do an exercise, face the other way, and make sure that I'm doing this. And then amongst whatever else I'm doing, martial arts even Tai Chi or something like that, I would still drop a lot of chi building exercises because I know the people I'm teaching will get the greatest chance of emulating what I'm doing if they have more chi. I also know that realistically, the people who stand, I said this on the last podcast, really far back in the corners are too far from me to be influenced by my field. If I was a higher level teacher, do you know what I mean? I could radiate out into a bigger space, but as a low level teacher, I can't do that. So the people in the far corners don't really pick up the transmission, whereas the people near the front are just sort of getting constantly blasted with this kind of nervous system attunement that's going on. And there's all these really interesting dynamics that take place within these arts. You know, so, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully some of that made sense. I got no idea if it did. But I just, it was a conversation I had with a friend the other day about it and explaining this concept, which he kind of, mostly understood anyway, I think, but we were just, you know, shooting the shit. 
and chatting about it and and I thought maybe it was useful to make it clear or to verbalize this to more people because maybe if more people understood this is the process of qigong they'd understand more about the nature of traditional teaching methods and the importance of qi as well and the nature of what transmission is um because this is how the arts are learned with regards to like you know obviously the the complaint i will get the criticism is then why do you teach online well the reason i teach online is because well lots of people around the world want to access it and i teach what i can teach so I will teach the external stuff and the internal mechanisms that I can easily explain. So every time I go to explain something online, I'm like, is this something, yeah, this bit I can do, this bit is going to be beyond what people can do, but okay. So I go as far as I possibly can, which is still pretty far. But I can't do the subtle nuances. I recognize that. So then in amongst everything else I'm doing, I always tell people, whatever you're studying with me online, even if it's Jingyi, you know, or something like that. Do the other programs, the practices that build a lot of qi. Because I know that if they build a lot of qi, then if I ever meet them or they meet another teacher who has the subtle skills, doesn't even have to be myself, if they meet another teacher that has the subtle skills, because they've done qi building with me and they've also done all these foundations, when they're in their vicinity, they will automatically, if you want, steal the transmission. If you want, like their body will subtly emulate what the teacher is doing and then they will learn faster. So that is the service that you do if you want people to teach, is you have to get them to enter into the internal way of doing things. Anyway, that'll do. It was only a brief one, and just explaining a concept, and uh, yeah, maybe it's not helpful at all. <laughs>